Section 9 of the American Rivals of Sherlock Holmes. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Omoatutri. The American Rivals of Sherlock Holmes. The Man Higher Up by William McHurk and Edwin Balmer. Part 2. You see, I have prepared for you. Schmelz lifted a napkin from a tray holding several little dishes. He took from one of these a bit of caviar and laid it upon Walter's tongue. At the same instant, Trent pushed down the key. The pencils showed a slight commotion, and the spectators stared at this record sheet. Ah! exclaimed Scalge, you do not like caviar. How do you know that? demanded Walter. The instruments show that at the unpleasant taste you breathe less freely, not so deep. Your finger, as under strong sensation or emotion, grows smaller, and your pulse beats more rapidly. By the Lord, Walter, what do you think of that? cried one of his companions. Your finger gets smaller when you taste caviar. It was a joke to them. Boisterously laughing, they tried Walter with other food upon the tray. They lighted for him one of the black cigars of which he was most fond, and watched the trembling pencils write the record of his pleasure at the taste and smell. Through it all, Trent waited, alert, watchful, beating time to carry out his plan. It came when, having adjusted the articles at hand, they paused to find some other means to carry on the amusement. The young psychologist leaned forward suddenly. It is no great ordeal after all, is it, Mr. Welter? he said. Modern psychology does not put its subjects to torture like, he halted meaningfully, a prisoner in the Elizabethan age. Dr. Annerley, bending over the record sheet, uttered a startled exclamation. Trent, glancing keenly at him, straightened triumphantly. But the young psychologist did not pause. He took quickly from his pocket a photograph showing merely a heap of empty coffee sacks piled carelessly to a height of some two feet along the inner wall of a shed, and laid it in front of the subject. Walter's face did not alter, but again the pencil shuddered over the moving paper and the watcher stared with astonishment. Rapidly removing the photograph, Trent substituted for it the band wire given to him by Miss Rowan. Then, for the last time, he swung to the instrument, and as his eyes caught the wildly vibrating pencils, they flared with triumph. President Welter rose abruptly, but not too hurriedly. That's about enough of this tomfoolery, he said with perfect self-possession. His jaw had imperceptibly squared to the watchful determination of the prize-fighter driven into his corner. His cheek still held a ruddy glow of health, but a white flush had disappeared from it, and he was perfectly sober. Trent tore the strip of paper from the instrument, and numbered the last three reactions, one, two, three. This is the way the records looked. Amazing, said Dr. Annerley. Mr. Walter, 
I am curious to know what associations you have with that photograph and band wire, the sight of which aroused in you such strong emotion. By immense self-control, the president of the American Commodities Company met his eyes fairly. None, he answered. Impossible. No psychologist, knowing how this record was taken, could look at it without feeling absolutely certain that the photograph and spring caused in you such excessive emotion that I am tempted to give it, without further words, the name of intense fright. But if we have inadvertently surprised the secret, we have no desire to pry into it farther. Is it not so, Mr. Trent? And the name, President Walter Wilde, suddenly. Trent, is your name Trent? he demanded. Well, I have heard of you. His eyes hardened. A man like you goes just so far, and then somebody stops him. As they stopped landers, Trent inquired. Come, we have seen enough, I guess, said President Welter, including for one instant in his now frankly menacing gauge both Trent and Professor Schmelch. He turned to the door, closely followed by his companions. And a moment later, the quick explosions of his automobile were heard. At the sound, Trent seized suddenly a large envelope, dropped into it the photograph and wire he had just used, sealed, signed, and dated it. Signed and dated also the record from the instruments, and hurriedly handed all to Dr. Ennerly. Doctor, I trust this to you, he cried excitedly. It will be best to have them attested by all three of you. If possible, get the record photograph tonight and distribute the photographs in safe places. Above all, do not let the record itself out of your hands until I come for it. It is important, extremely important. As for me, I have not a moment to lose. The young psychologist sped down the stone steps of the laboratory three at a time, ran at top speed to the nearest street corner, turned it, and leaped into a waiting automobile. The American Commodities Company's docks in Brooklyn, he shouted, and never mind the speed limits. Rutland and the chauffeur, awaiting him in the machine, galvanized at his coming. Hard work, the customs agent asked. It may be very hot, but we have the start of him. Trent replied as the car shot ahead. Walter himself is coming to the docks tonight, I think, by the look of him. He left just before me, but must drop his friends first. He suspects now that we know, but he cannot be aware that we know that they are unloading tonight. He probably counts on our waiting to catch them at the cheating tomorrow morning. So he is going over tonight himself, if I size him up right, to order it stopped, and remove all traces before we can prove anything. Is Dicky waiting? When you give the word, he is to take us in and catch them at it. If Welter himself comes, as you think, it will not change the plan, Redland replied. Not at all, said Trent, for I have him already. He will deny everything, of course, but it's too late now. The big car, with unchecked speed, swung down Broadway, slowed after a twenty minutes' run to cross the Brooklyn Bridge, and turning to the left, plunged once more at high speed into the narrower and less well-kept thoroughfares of the Brooklyn waterfront. Two minutes later it overtook a little electric coupe, bobbing excitedly down the sloping street. As they passed it, Trent caught sight of the illuminated number hanging at its rear, and shouted suddenly to the chauffeur, 
who brought the big motor to a stop to a hundred feet beyond. The psychologist, leaping down, ran into the road before the little car. Miss Rowan, he cried to its singular occupant as it came to a stop, why are you coming over here at this time tonight? Oh, it's you, Mr. Trent. She opened the door, showing relief in the recognition. Oh, I am so worried. I am on my way to see father, for a telegram just came to him from Boston. Mother appended and told me to take it to him at once, as it was most important. She didn't tell me what it was about, but it excited her a great deal. Oh, I am so afraid it must be about Will and that was why she wouldn't tell me. From Boston, Trent pressed quickly. Having her confidence, the girl nervously read the telegram aloud by the light of the cube's side lamps. It read, Police have taken your friend out of your hands. Look out for trouble, Wilson. Who is Wilson? Trent demanded. I am not sure it is the man, but the captain of the Elizabethan age is a friend of father's, named Wilson. I can't help you then, after all, said Trent, springing back to his powerful car. He whispered a word to the chauffeur, which sent it driving ahead through the drifts at double its former speed, leaving the little electric coupe far behind. Ten minutes later, Rantland stopped a motor a block short of a great lighted doorway, which suddenly showed in a length of dark, lowering buildings which lay beside the American Commodity Company's Brooklyn docks. Now, the secret agent volunteered. It is up to me to find Dickie's ladder. He guided Trent down a narrow, dark court, which brought them face to face with a blank wall. Against this wall, a light ladder had been recently placed. Ascending it, they came into the dock's enclosure. Descending again by a dozen rickety, diseased steps, they reached a darker, covered teamway and hurried along to the docks. Just short of the end of the open dock houses, where a string of arc lamps threw their white and flickering light upon the huge black side of a moored steamer, Randland turned into a little shade, and the two came suddenly upon customs officer Dickie. This one next to us, the little man whispered eagerly to Trent, as he grasped his hand, is the scale house where whatever is being done is done, number three. In and out of the yawning gangways of the steamer before them, struggling lines of sweating men were wheeling trucks loaded with bales of tobacco. Trump looked first to the left, where bales disappeared into the tobacco warehouse, then to the right, where, close at hand, each truckload stopped momentarily on a scale platform in front of the low shed, where board number Dickie indicated in a large white figure. Who is that? asked Trent, as a small figure, hardly five feet tall, cadaverous, piddle-browed, with cold, malignant, red-lidded eyes, passed directly under the arc-light nearest them. Rowan, the dark superintendent, Dickie whispered. I knew you were small, Trent returned with surprise, but I thought surely he must have some feast to be the terror of these dark laborers. Wait, Trentland behind them motioned. A bloated, menacing figure had suddenly swung clear of the group of dock laborers. A roustabout goaded to desperation with a fist raised against his puny superior. But before the blow had fallen, another fist, Hughes and Black, struck the man over one shoulder with a hammer. He fell, 
and the dog superintendent passed on without a backward glance. The giant negro, who had struck the blow following in his footsteps like a dog. The black, Redland explained, is Rowan's bodyguard. He needs him. I see, Trant replied. And for Miss Rowan's sake, I am glad it was that way, he added enigmatically. Dicky had quietly opened the door on the opposite side of the shed. The tree slipped quickly through it and stepped unobserved around the corner of the coffee warehouse to a long, dark, and narrow space. On one side of them was the rear wall of scale house number three, and on the other, the engine room where Lander's body had been found. The single window in the rear of number three scale house had been whitewashed to prevent anyone from looking in from that side but in spots the whitewash had fallen off in flakes. Trent put his eye to one of these clear spots in the glass and looked in. The scale table, supported on heavy posts, extended across almost the whole front of the house, behind the low wide window, which permitted those seated at the table to see all that occurred on the docks. Toward the right end of the table sat the government weigher. Toward the left end and separated from him, by almost the whole length of the table, said the company checker. They were the only persons in the scale house. Trent, after his first rapid survey of the scene, fixed his eye upon the man who had taken the place which Landers had held for three years, and Morse for a few days afterwards, the company checker. A truckload of tobacco bales was wheeled on to the scales in front of the house. Watch his left knee, Trant whispered quickly into Dickie's ear at the pan beside him, as the balance was being made upon the beam before them. As he spoke, the government weigher adjusted the balance, and they saw the left leg of the company checker pressed hard against a post which protected the scale rod at his end. Boatman in the scale house then read aloud the weight, and each entered it in the book on the table in front of him. A second truckful was wheeled onto the scale, and again, just as the government weigher fixed his balances, the company checker, so inconspicuously as to make the act undiscoverable by anyone not looking for that precise move, repeated the operation. With the next truck, they saw it again. The psychologist turned to the others. Rantland, too, had been watching through the pane and nodded his satisfaction. Immediately, Trant dashed upon the door of the scale house and threw himself bodily upon the checker. The man registered. They struggled. While the customs man protected him, Trant, wrenching something from the post beside the checker's left knee, rose with a cry of triumph. Then the psychologist, warned by a cry from Rantland, leaped quickly to one side to avoid a blow from the giant negro. His quickness saved him. Still the blow, glancing along his cheek, hurled him from his feet. He rose immediately, blood flowing from a superficial cut upon his forehead, where it had struck the scale-house wall. He saw Redland covering the negro with a revolver, and the two other customsmen arresting, at pistol-point, the malignant little dock superintendent, the checker, and the others who had crowded into the scale-house. You see, Trant exhibited to the customs officers, a bit of bandwire, wound to its string, precisely like that the girl had given him that morning, 
and he had used in his test of welter the hour before. It was almost exactly as we knew it must be. The spring was struck through a hole in the protecting post so that it prevented the balance beam from rising properly when bales are put on the platform. A little pressure just at that point takes many pounds from each bale weighted. The checker had only to move his knee, in a way he would never have noticed, if we were not watching for it, to work the scheme by which they have been cheating for ten years. But the rest of this affair, he glanced at the quickly collecting crowd, can best be settled in the office. He led the way, the customs men taking their prisoners at pistol point. As they entered the office, Rowan first, a girl's cry and the answering oath of her father told Trent that the dark superintendent's daughter had arrived. But she had been almost overtaken by another powerful car, for before Trent could speak with her, the outer door of the office opened violently, and President Welter, in an automobile coat and cap, entered. "'Ah, Mr. Welter, you got here quickly,' said Trent, meeting calmly his outraged astonishment at the scene but a little too late. What is the matter here? Welter governed his voice commandingly. And what has brought you here from your phrenology? He demanded contemptuously of Trent. The hope of catching red-handed, as we have just caught them, your company checker and your dock superintendent defrauding the government. Trent returned, before he could get here to stop them and remove evidences. What raving idiot is this? Walter replied, still with excellent moderation. I came here to sign some necessary papers for sheep's clearing and eel. I say we have caught your man red-handed, Trent repeated. And the matter's used, with your certain knowledge and under your direction, Mr. Walter, to steal systematically from the United States government for probably the last ten years. We have uncovered the means by which your company checker at scale number three, which, because of its position, probably weighs more cargoes than all the other scales together, has been lessening the apparent weights upon which you pay duties. Cheating here under my direction, Walter now bellowed indignantly. What are you talking about? Ruan, what is he talking about? he demanded, boldly of the dock superintendent but the cadaverous little man was unable to present it out with him. You need not have looked at your dock superintendent just then, Mr. Welter, to see if he'll stand the racket when the trouble comes, for which you have been paying him enough on the side to keep him in electric motors and marble statutes. And you cannot try now to disown this crime with the regular president of corporation excuse, Mr. Welter, that you have never knew of it, that it was all done without your knowledge, by a subordinate, to make a showing in his department. And do not expect either to escape so easily your certain complicity in the murder of lenders, to prevent him from exposing your scheme, and, since even the American Commodities Company scarcely dared to have two accidental deaths of checkers in the same month, the shanghaiing of Morse later. My complicity in the death of lenders and the disappearance of Morse? Walter roared. I said the murder of lenders, Trent corrected. For when Rentland and Dickey tell tomorrow before the grand jury how lenders was about to 
disclosed to the customs department the secret of the cheating in weights how he was made afraid by rowan and later was about to tell anyway and was prevented only by a most sudden death i think murder will be the word brought in the indictment and i said sanghaing of morse mr walter when we remembered this morning that morse had disappeared the night the elizabethan age left your dogs and you and rowan were so intensely disgusted at its having had to put into boston this morning instead of going on straight to sumatra we did not have to wait for the chance information this evening that captain wilson is a friend of rowan's to the deuce that the missing checker was put aboard as confirmed by the boston harbor police this afternoon who searched the ship under our instructions Trent paused a moment again fixed the now trembling welter with his eye and continued i cherish your certain complicity in these crimes along with your certain part in the customs frauds the psychologist repeated undoubtedly it was rouen who put morse out of the way upon the elizabethan age nevertheless you knew that he was a prisoner upon that ship a fact which was written down in indelible black and white by my tests of you at the stuyvesant institute two hours ago when i merely mentioned to you a prisoner in the elizabethan age i do not charge that you personally were the one who murdered landers and even that rouen himself did whether his negro did as i suspect is a matter now for the courts to decide upon but that you undoubtedly were aware that he was not killed accidentally in the engine room but was killed on wednesday night before and his body hidden under the coffee bags as a guest from the fibers of coffee sacking on his clothes was also registered as mercilessly by the psychological machines when i showed you merely the picture of a pile of coffee sacks unless mr welter you deny knowledge of the cheating which has been going on and who was at the bottom of the other crimes well welter the psychologist took from his pocket the band twine wand wire here is the innocent little thing which was the third means of causing you to register upon the machines such extreme and inexplicable emotion or rather mr welter it is the companion piece to that for this is not the one i showed you the one given to morse to use which however he refused to make use of but it is the very wire i took to-night from the hole in the post where it bore against the balance beam to cheat the government when this is made public to-morrow and when it is made public too and attested by the scientific man who witnessed him the diagram and explanation of the tests of you two hours ago do you think that you can deny longer that this was all with your knowledge and direction the big bull-neck of the president swelled and his hands clenched and reclenched as he stared with gleaming eyes into the face of the young man who thus challenged him you are thinking now i suppose mr welter trent replied to his glare that such evidence as that directly against you cannot be got before a court i am not so sure of that but at least it can go before the public to-morrow morning in the papers attested by the signatures of the scientific man who witnessed the test it has been photographed by this time and the photographic copies are distributed in safe places to be produced at the original on the day when the government brings criminal proceedings against you 
if i had it here i'd show you how complete how merciless is the evidence that you knew what was being done i'd show you how at the point marked one on the record your pulse and breathing quickened with alarm under my suggestion how at the point marked two your anxiety and fear increased and how at three when the spring by which this cheating had been carried out was before your eyes you betrayed yourself uncontrollably unmistakably how the volume of blood in your second finger suddenly diminished as the current was thrown back upon your heart how your pulse throbbed with terror how though unmoved to outward appearance you caught your breath and your laboring lungs struggled under the dread that your wrongdoing was discovered and you would be branded as i trust you will now be branded mr walter when the evidence in this case and the testimony of those who witnessed my test are produced before a jury a deliberate and scheming thief you the three words escaped from walter's puffed lips he put out his arm to push aside the customs officer standing between him and the door the key registered let him go if he wants to trent called to the officer he can neither escape nor hide as money holds him under bond the officer stepped aside and walter without another word went into the hall but when his face was no longer visible to trent the hanging pouches under his eyes glow leaden gray his fat lips fell apart loosely his step shuffled his mask had fallen besides we need all the men we have i think said trent turning back to the prisoners to get these to a safe place miss rowan he turned then and put out his hand to steady the terrified and weeping girl i warned you that you had probably better not come here to-night but since you have come and have had pain because of your stepfather's wrongdoings i am glad to be able to give you the additional assurance beyond the fact which you have heard that your fiance was not murdered but merely put away on board the elizabethan age that he is safe and sound except for a few bruises and moreover we expect him here any moment now the police were bringing him down from boston on the train which arrives at ten he went to the window and watched an instant as dicky and randland having telephoned for a patrol were waiting with their prisoners before the patrol wagon appeared he saw the bobbing lanterns of a lurching cab that turned a corner a block away as it stopped at the entrance a police officer in plain clothes lifted out and helped after him a young man wrapped in an overcoat with one arm in a sling pale and with bandaged head the girl uttered a cry and sped through the doorway for a moment the psychologist stood watching the greeting of the lovers he turned back then to the sullen prisoners but it's some evidence isn't it rentland he asked not to have to try such poor devils alone but at last with the man who makes the millions and pays them the pennies the man higher up and of the man higher up by william mackhark and edwin balmer part two